0: Well, good morning. Um, I want to commend a book to you this morning to start off with. It's not always great to start a sermon with a book plug, I understand that, but this is a particularly helpful book, I think. Twelve Things God Can't Do, and so therefore it tells you one chapter at a time uh, one of the things that God cannot do, and it helps you sleep at night, apparently. Well, I'm not sure about the strap, that strap line, but anyway. Uh, but you get interlude chapters as well that reflect helpfully. So the God who doesn't sleep is the God who slept in a boat. The God who cannot die because he's immortal is the God who dies on a cross in the person of his son. So it's not about Psalm 131, but it is about God. It's not the best book about God. The Bible's the best book about God. And that's why we're going to go to the Bible this morning and Psalm 131 and really reflect on a settled heart before God. Now, many of us may not have a settled heart at all within us for whatever reason that might be. And God understands that, and God identifies with that. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, was an extremely unsettled man at times, In his life, particularly in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows what it feels to have an unsettled heart for all kinds of reasons. But in Psalm 131, the pilgrim church sang out a wide variety of themes on their journey to gathered worship in Jerusalem. On the road of dirt, dust, danger, doubt, and death, They took out this hymn book, the Psalms of Ascent, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. They may have sung other psalms also. And we are the pilgrim church on the road from the cross to the new Jerusalem. We too sing of the Lord who is full of faithful love and abundant redemption, Psalm 130. We sing to each other to encourage each other in trusting in the Lord and obeying what he says, particularly when we don't understand what he's doing. And therefore we do sing in pain, and indeed about the pain in knowing God. There's a pleasure in knowing God. There's also pain in knowing God. In Psalm 129, we were reminded of the cry of anguish that the church experiences because the world is unjust to the church. Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. That is unjust suffering for worshiping God. And then Psalm 130 Is the personal cry of failure before a holy God as the church fails to love him and indeed turns away from him. Out of the depths, verse 1 of Psalm 130, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So along the journey, there are times of feeling deeply unsettled in our souls. That isn't just an individual experience, that is also a communal experience. And on this occasion, in Psalm 131, the root cause of the unsettlement of soul, and we must be clear on this, is God himself. The church cannot work out to their intellectual satisfaction and emotional comfort what God is doing and what God is not doing. Think of the questions that are raised by Psalm 129 130 why does god allow his people to suffer cruel injustice as a result of doing his will why does he do that why does god allow his people to suffer pain in following his son the lord jesus christ why does god not take away that continuing sinful attitude or wrong action why doesn't he just take it away Why does God allow such sinful failure to inhabit our lives that we've confessed about already this morning that brings guilt to us? Well, God needs to explain himself, doesn't he? I mean, he has to explain himself so much better than maybe we think he does. After all, God knows all things, doesn't he? We all agree with that. God knows all things. The Bible is explicitly clear about that reality. And so do all our questions have to be answered? Before verse three can be lived out, look at the ex- exhortation of verse three. "O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth, and forevermore, do all our questions have to be answered." Because if they have to be answered before I can hope in the Lord, then hear hear me as I hear myself. We will never hope in the Lord. Because there will always be one more question. And then another question. And then another 3,000 questions. Now, it's not wrong to ask questions of God. May I be clear about that? In case you think I'm... Sweeping that away. Of course it's right to do that. Of course it is to think, uh, to, think, to think things through as best as we can. But there comes a point in the life of faith when you have to say to yourself, I'm going to stop asking the questions. Two points this morning. Number one, we are to close down the conversation driven by pride. We had to close down the conversation driven by pride. This is not easy. And I can assure you, I have struggled deeply, uh, even as I identify the point. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Yes, in our painful questions, already we have uh, identified some of them, Indeed, we should express them, and we should bring our doubts to God. I'm again wanting you to understand we have every right to do that. God is quite willing for us to do that. And so we might often sing something like, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. But what the church is singing about here is safeguarding itself from an anguish, an anguish that is saying to God, you've got to give us all the answers to the mystery of our pain. You see, our most deep-rooted problem is our proud self-trust that turns away from God and we think we are God. God. We got it from Adam and Eve originally. Adam and Eve who were created to live under God and to trust him with their lives and to obey what he says, and therefore they would not know evil or death in their lives. But in a moment of proud self-trust, they decided that they would become God and that they would dismiss God from their lives. And in proud self-trust, they went into sin and then ultimately to death. We need to hear that. That is proud self-trust. And I have to say to you, as I say to myself, that is true of all of us in the room and in the whole entire human history. There is not one human that escapes proud self-trust. We think sometimes we can enter the eternal counsels of God and know as he knows. It's worse. Sometimes we think we know better than God knows. And I have certainly entered into that realm in times in my life. And when you do eventually you experience spiritual vertigo and you discover your head cannot cope with the divine heights that you're trying to scale. And the result cause of that is that it doesn't settle our hearts, but produces a strong fretfulness. We're like babies in need of settling and soothing. The most Paramount example of that is in Habakkuk chapter 3, or chapters 1 to 3, well there's only three chapters in Habakkuk, uh, but he was a prophet in the Old Testament. He had a deep concern for his people Israel. There were unrighteous people getting away with unrighteous living, and so he went to God, uh, the eternal God, and he said, well basically, he says to God, you know, you have to do something about this, you're not doing anything about this. So God says, well, that's okay. Now you've joined my councils. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And you know what he was going to do? He was going to send the Babylonians to sort out Israel. Well, now Habakkuk's got even more problems and he's even more fretful than he's ever been. How can God, the Holy One, who can't look at sin, use an un- are more unrighteous people to deal with unrighteousness in Israel. And God says, well, I've got that sorted too, you know, because I've thought, I've thought some things out. I know the beginning from the end. Uh, and I'm going to deal with the Babylonians eventually also too. Well, by the time of chapter 3, Habakkuk wises up and he says, well, I've had enough of this fretfulness because I can't cope with the eternal counsels of God. So I, I know what I'll do. I'll just trust God. And you get those famous verses that I haven't got time to quote. At the end of chapter 3, they're worth reading over your dinner, where basically Habakkuk says, well, okay, the Babylonians are going to come, but I'm going to trust you even though there's no cattle in the sheds and there's no crops in the fields and the Sovereign Lord will be my strength. That's what we're talking about here this morning. When a man decided that the dizzying heights of spiritual vertigo were too much, and he said, I'm going to trust the Almighty God instead. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, Isaiah 57 verse 17, Whose name is holy, I dwell on the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, notice, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the spirit of the contrite. So if you want to know a reviving of your heart from being fretful about God to a place of settled calm before God, then recognize you cannot scale the heights as to where God is in all his highness and holiness. And therefore to walk with a contrite and lowly spirit. So the Pilgrim Church sings in Psalm 131 to each other about stopping all proud conversation about God and his unrevealed ways. It's a hard gig, isn't it? And I can't do it on my own. I need to come here Sunday by Sunday on other occasions and have you sing to me. You do realize you're singing to me, don't you? As I'm singing to you. As we have already done so and celebrated the victory of Jesus. Why will we so taken up with God and Jesus this morning in our singing because we had to come away from ourselves. And we had to tell each other to come away from ourselves. And let's not trust in ourselves. Let us trust in the one and only God. And the pilgrim church before God knows that we must sing to each other about that. So that's the first point. We have to stop the proud conversation. Now, that's not easy to do. If you've ever been in my... Sometimes I've been in situations with God and I find the intellectual and philosophical uh, thoughts piling in upon my life. I feel the all the emotions are just churning over and over and it's a army of compulsion. Stop it. Therefore, we need the help of the Spirit to do that. And we have His help. Because point number two is we open ourselves up to trusting God on His terms, not ours. We open ourselves up to trusting God on His terms, on ours. He takes over the conversation. We basically say to God, can't cope. <laughs> It's beyond me. I don't get paid for this. But you are God. You talk to me. So it takes a strong and loving community to stand alongside each other and sing, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. That's all about pride. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Indeed, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. We know that the baby feeds on milk for nourishment in the early days of life. Yet the loving mother knows that there requires a weaning process from milk to solids for healthy development. In that process, the baby not only learns that it needs to get into solids. But the love of the mother is a secure place in which to trust. That's really important. The weaning process is not simply, let's get the baby from milk to solids, so that's going to be the staple diet for the rest of the baby's life. But there is an emotional development that takes place. Very interesting looking at weaned children, maybe let's say between the age of three to five, for argument's sake. Erin, our granddaughter, is two. She's playing with some cars, or she's building with some bricks, or she does a little dance and spins around and does some kind of singing. The song I can't identify, but it's definitely a song. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all this play, she heads to mum for a hug. Because Erin is being weaned, not simply so she can eat pizza, though she can, and some, but she knows where she goes for security, the solid trust of her mother. We are fretful babies. We may not like the image, but we are full of self-trust. And we cannot calm our souls, particularly about God and all that he's doing. And the stuff we try is simply temporary, isn't it? I like music. It brings a calm, pleasant uh, diversion to my life. But I may listen to music for an hour. I may listen to music for two hours. But I come away the same person as I always was hasn't changed me, has diverted me, but that's all it's done. Our Heavenly Father knows we need weaning from our fretfulness into the solidness of his great eternal love, a secure place to live in the dirt, dust, danger, doubt, and death of the journey from the cross to the new Jerusalem. Now, we are New Testament believers. And so I'm just going to go sideways a bit. It's not particularly in Psalm 131, though I think the implications of what I want to say emerge from calming and quieting our souls in the eternal love of God. Therefore, as New Testament believers... Old Testament believers had access to an understanding about God and had experienced God in all kinds of gracious and merciful ways. They knew that. For us, of course, it is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the good news. The Bible teaches us about Jesus. For example, Romans, where we are so helpfully being taken through. We get to explore as New Testament believers, the eternal love of God in Christ. We see that the gospel is God's power to salvation for sinners. And this answers all God's questions, and in answering those questions, God brings a sweet calm to our souls and so we revel in Ephesians chapter 1, for example, and we have redemption in His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see what we get to know? Do you get to see what we can, we can explore that is great and marvelous? The incredible love of God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That as dead sinners we've been made alive in Christ. Again in Ephesians. This is the gospel. We need to hear it every week. No, it's not too simplistic. It actually is rather important. The saving career of Jesus, joyfully taught, confessed, sung, read, signified in communion, and discussed with each other in prayer. This is what settles the soul. The undeserving love that died for me, an ungodly man. When did God save me? He might say, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Here is the inner culture of the soul produced by the Spirit in Christ through the gospel. This is what we know. Because this is what has been revealed. God could have kept it to himself, couldn't he? In the eternal councils. But he didn't. He says, I'm going to let humanity in on what I have decided, awesomely and gloriously. He let us in on it. We wouldn't have known it otherwise. Otherwise. And so Shane and Shane sing, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you have already done. So you don't know what God is doing with your life? You can't answer all those questions. You have many of them. They're painful. But you already know what he's done, don't you? You go back to the gospel. Happy news, eh? And if that's the case, then it produces a culture within the people of God. Here are people in Psalm 131 singing to each other about being calmed and quieted in soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. You see the Pilgrim Church singing about the secure love of God that settles our souls, that creates a place of honesty for us, to admit in to admit that our hearts often struggle with the fretfulness of proud self-trust and that we're always in need of more weaning. So I come this morning, I tell you this, I come this morning to this church, not because simply I'm preaching, though I am, but I come each Sunday whether I'm preaching or not because I need to be weaned. I need to be weaned into the secure place of the solidness of the love of God in Christ. And I have to stop my baby fretfulness of self trust. And therefore, Christ in our community is calling us to his divine love and to yield our agitated souls to him. And sometimes, The Lord Jesus, in his wisdom, will let us collapse in failure so that we learn that self-trust does not work and that we must come to him. Gentleness is the mark of a community that knows it needs to be weaned. I could go to Ephesians, but gentleness is part of the fruit of the spirit patience would be the other thing that would come out of this the pilgrim church that sings this truth to each other will give each other time to rethink our hearts under god i mean you could come to me this morning you say oh maurice you're just a big fretful baby aren't you why don't you just grow up and you wouldn't be far wrong or you could come to me and say to me, Morris, Morris, understand, I have the same issue. Let's get weaned together into the love of Christ. It's a whole different conversation, isn't it? So, can I say to you about myself at least, I need your time and your patience, because I haven't arrived yet. And neither have you. And we're complex human beings, aren't we? We can acknowledge all this truth. And we will acknowledge it, I think. And then outside, in the complexity of our hearts, we'll say, well, this is a hard gig, isn't it? And it is. So let us be encouraged, my friends. The gospel hope refreshes and renews our souls we can sing and pray for each other helping each other get weaned onto the father's love and saving care and we can say to each other we can trust in the lord and his hope both now and forevermore as we finish you're getting hopeful how can we be sure that God is full of faithful love to sinners like us? We had a conversation in the car, my dear wife and myself. How can we be sure that God is full of faithful love to sinners like us? How can we be sure? How do you settle your soul on this one? How can I hope in the Lord both now in my present life, whatever form? that life is, and forevermore, whatever happens in the rest of my life and through death and into eternity? How can I be sure that God can be trusted to save my life? After all, Psalm 130 tells us, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Well, there it is, isn't it? It is in the nature and the character of God And the nature of the character of God has been revealed. The invisible God has become visible. And how did he become visible? Well, in many ways in the the Bible, but preeminently in the person of his Son. And the more that I look at the Son, I see the glory of the Father. And the more that I look at the glory of the Father as revealed in the Son by the help of the Spirit, I become more sure. So go back to Psalm 129. Sorry, I got a bit shouty there. You may not like shouty. Well, you don't have to. It's okay. I'm not asking you to love the style. I'm just asking you to come to the substance. Unjust suffering, cruelly and sinfully imposed on us because we follow the Lord Jesus. I'm thinking Psalm 129. How do I deal with that? The promise is that God will save us and he will deal with all injustice. He will deal with all injustice against us that we have known because of his son, the Lord Jesus, but he still loves us. Because I'm being treated cruelly and unjustly does not say that God does not love me. The cross tells me that he does love me. And even the cross proves to me that he will deal with all injustice against me. Heads up, people. And in the cry of personal or communal sinful failure, he still loves us. He loves us in the person of his son, and he's committed to changing us so that one day we will be fully Like the Lord Jesus. The choice is clear my friends this morning. Either we hope in ourselves and live like fretful agitated babies in need of constant soothing and settling or we can hope in the Lord and be weaned into the solidness of his great love and security. Now and forevermore. How does a weaned church, secure in the love of God, sing? Well, here's some words as I finish. I'm enjoying Sovereign Grace music and their album of psalms. We are sing- learning one of them, uh, We will wait, My Soul Will Wait Upon the Lord. Um, so they're the, the beautiful hymns. I found them really, really helpful. And here is one of them, based on Psalm 90. And just one verse. And all our days are held within your hands. Your perfect love and favor have no end. We rest within the wisdom of your plan. Everlasting God. Because we know how this story ends. Don't we? Let us pray. Your soul may be deeply unsettled. Do not be ashamed. Do not get angry with God. Come to him. The invisible God who has become visible at the cross. You're trying to sort out all the questions and you're so unsettled and so fretful. Because God isn't answering the questions. Let Him take the conversation. Let Him do the talking. Our Heavenly Father, there was a little woman in the Bible called Mary who seemed to be lazy and allowing her sister in the kitchen to do all the work. We thank you for her sister in the kitchen serving you with such um, skill. But Mary sat at your feet and heard your word and adored you and drunk in all that you were saying of yourself. Lord, you turned to that dear, fretful sister and said to her, Mary, Martha, Martha, there's only one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen the part that cannot be taken away from her. Because to sit at your feet, Lord Jesus, as we have this morning, is the precursor to sit at your feet forever. And then we'll be weaned. And no painful questions will be asked. And justice will be done. And in the great solid love that is eternal, we will rejoice in you forever and forever. We worship you together in Jesus' name. Amen.